Welcome to Volume 3 of the Enchanted Isle of You. Chapter 7 The Grave Men. The adventurers gave no heed to the path they followed after leaving the cave of the reformed thieves, but their horses accidentally took the direction of the foothills that led into the wild interior kingdom of Spore. Therefore, the travelers, when they had finished their conversation and begun to look about them, found themselves in a rugged, mountainous country that was wholly unlike the green plains of Peg that they had left behind. Now, as I have before said, the most curious and fearful of the island people dwelt in this kingdom of Spore. They held no friendly communication with their neighbors, and only left their own mountains to plunder and rob. And so sullen and fierce were they on these occasions, that every one took good care to keep out of their way until they had gone back home again. There was much gossip about the unknown king of Spore, who had never yet been seen by anyone except his subjects, and some thought that he must be one of the huge giants of Spore, and others claimed he was a dwarf, like his tiny but ferocious dartslingers, and still others imagined him one of the barbarian tribe, or fellow to the terrible grey men. But, of course, no one knew positively, and all these guesses were very wide of the mark. The only certainty about the king was that his giants, dwarves, barbarians, and grey men meekly acknowledged his rule and obeyed his slightest wish. For though they might be terrible to others, their king was still more terrible to them. Into this kingdom of Spore, Prince Marvel and Nerle had now penetrated, and, neither knowing nor caring where they were, continued along the faintly defined paths the horses had found. Presently, however, they were startled by a peal of shrill, elvish laughter, and raising their eyes, beheld a horrid-looking old man seated upon a high rock nearby. Why do you laugh? asked Prince Marvel, stopping his horse. Have you been invited? Tell me, have you been invited? demanded the old man, chuckling to himself, as if much amused. Invited where? inquired the prince. To Spore, stupid! To the kingdom of Spore! To the land of King Terebus! shrieked the old man, going to violent peals of laughter. We come and go as we please, answered Prince Marvel calmly. Go, yes, go if you will, but you'll never come back! Never, never, never! The little old man seemed to consider this such a good joke that he bent nearly double with laughing, and so lost his balance and toppled off the rock disappearing from their view. But they could hear him laugh long after they had passed on and left him far behind them. What a strange creature, exclaimed the prince thoughtfully. But perhaps he speaks the truth, answered Nero. If, in fact, we have been rash enough to enter the kingdom of Spore, even my father, the bravest baron of Hag, has never dared venture within the borders of Spore, for all men fear his mysterious king. In that case, replied Prince Marvel. It is time someone investigated this strange kingdom. 
People have left King Terrapus and his wild subjects too much to themselves, instead of stirring them up and making them behave themselves. Nurl smiled at the speech. They are the fiercest people on the enchanted island, he said, and there are thousands upon thousands who obey this unknown king. But if you think we dare defy them, I'm willing to go on. Perhaps our boldness will lead them into torturing me, or starving me to death, or at the very least, I'll find much trouble and privation in the kingdom's fall. Time would determine that, said the prince cheerfully. They had now ridden into a narrow defile of the mountains, the pathway being lined with great fragments of rock. Happening to look over his shoulder, Prince Marvel saw that, as they passed these rocks, a man stepped from behind each fragment and followed after them, their numbers thus constantly increasing until hundreds were silently treading in the wake of the travellers. These men were very peculiar in appearance, their skins being as grey as the rocks themselves, while their only clothing consisted of grey cloth tunics belted around their waists with bands of grey foxhide. They bore no weapons except that each was armed with a fork, having three sharp tines six inches in length, which the grey men carried stuck through their foxhide belts. Nurl also looked back and saw the silent throng following them, and the sight sent such a cold shiver creeping up his spine that he smiled with pleasure. There was no way to avoid the grey men, for the path was so narrow that the horsemen would not turn aside. But Prince Marvel was not disturbed, and seemed not to mind being followed, so long as no one hinted his advance. He rode on steadily, Nurl following, and after climbing upward for a long way the path began to descend presently leading them into a valley of wide extent, in the centre of which stood an immense castle with tall domes that glittered as if covered with pure gold. A broad roadway, paved with white marble, reached from the mountain pass to the entrance of this castle, and on each side of this roadway stood lines of monstrous giants, armed with huge axes thrust into their belts, and thick oak clubs studded with silver spikes which were carried over their left shoulders. The assembled giants were as silent as the grey men, and stood motionless while Prince Marvel and Nurl rode slowly up the marble roadway. But all their brows were scowling terribly, and their eyes were red and glaring, as if they were balls of fire. I begin to feel very pleasant, said Nurl, for surely we shall not get away from these folks without a vast deal of trouble. They do not seem to oppose our advance, but it is plain they will not allow us any chance of retreat. We do not wish to retreat, declared the prince. Nurl cast another glance behind and saw that the grey men had halted at the edge of the valley, while the giants were closing up as soon as the horses passed them, and now marched in close fire in their rear. It strikes me now, he muttered softly, that this may likely prove to be our last adventure. But although Prince Marvel might have heard the words, he made no reply, being evidently engaged in deep thought. As they drew near the castle, it towered above them like a veritable mountain, so big and high was it, and the walls cast deep shadows far around, as if twilight had fallen. They heard the loud blare of a trumpet sounding far up the mountains. The portals of the castle suddenly opened wide, and they entered a vast courtyard, paved with plates of gold. Tiny dwarves, so crooked they resembled crabs, rushed forward and seized the bridles of the horses. 
while the strangers slowly dismounted and looked around them. While the steeds were being led to the stables, an old man, clothed in flowing robes, as white in colour as his beard, bowed before Prince Marvel and said in a soft voice, Follow me. The prince stretched his arms, yawned as if tired with his ride, and then glared upon the old man with an expression of haughty surprise. I follow no one, he said proudly. I am Prince Marvel, sir, and if the owner of the castle wishes to see me, I shall receive him here, as befits my rank and station. The man looked surprised, but only bowed lower than before. It is the king's command, he answered. The king? Yes, you are in the castle of King Terribus, the lord and ruler of Spore. Well, that is different, remarked Prince lightly. Still, I will follow no man. Point out the way, and I will go to meet his majesty. The old man extended a lean and trembling finger toward an archway. Prince Marvel strode forward, followed by Nerl, and passing under the arch, he threw open a door at the far end, and boldly entered the throne room of King Terribus. Chapter 8 The Fool Killer The room was round, with a dome at the top. The bare walls were of grey stone with square open windows set full twenty feet from the floor. Rough grey stone also composed the floor, and in the centre of the room stood one great rock with a seat hollowed in its middle. This was the throne, and round about it stood a swarm of men and women, dressed in rich satins, velvets, and brocades, brilliantly ornamented with gold and precious stones. The men were of many shapes and sizes, giants and dwarves being among them. The women all seemed young and beautiful. Prince Marvel cast but a passing glance at this assemblage, for his eye quickly sought the rude throne on which was seated King Terribus. The personal appearance of this monster was doubtless the most hideous known in that age of the world. His head was large and shaped like an egg. It was bright scarlet in color, and no hair whatever grew upon it. It had three eyes, one in the center of his face, one on the top of his head, and one in the back. Thus he was always able to see in every direction at the same time. His nose was shaped like an elephant's trunk, and swayed constantly from side to side. His mouth was very wide, and had no lips at all, two rows of sharp and white teeth being always plainly visible beneath the swaying nose. King Terribus, although surrounded by so splendid a court, wore a simple robe of grey cloth, and no ornament or other finery, and his strange and fearful appearance was strongly contrasted with the glittering raiment of his courtiers and the beauty of his ladies-in-waiting. When Prince Marvel, with Nerl marching close behind, entered the great room, Terribus looked at him sharply a moment, and then bowed, and when he bowed, the eye upon the top of his head also looked sharply at the intruders. Then the king spoke, his voice sounding so sweet and agreeable that it almost shocked Nerl, who had expected to hear a roar like that from a wild beast. Why are you here? asked Terribus. Partly by chance and partly from curiosity, answered Prince Marvel. No one in this island except your own people have ever seen the King of Spore, so finding myself in your country, I decided to come here and have a look at you. The faces of the people who stood about the throne wore frightened looks at the unheard boldness of his speech to their terrible monarch. But the king merely nodded and inquired, Since you have seen me, what do you think of me? 
I'm sorry you asked that question, returned the prince, for I must confess you are a very frightful-looking creature, and not at all agreeable to gaze upon. Ah, well, you honest as well as frank, exclaimed the king, but that's the reason I do not leave my kingdom, as you will readily understand. And that's the reason I never permit strangers to come here under penalty of death. So long as no one knows the king of Spore is a monster, people will not gossip about my looks, and I am very sensitive regarding my personal appearance. You will perhaps understand that if I could have chosen, I should have been born beautiful instead of ugly. I certainly understand that, and permit me to say I wish you were beautiful. I shall probably dream of you for many nights, added the prince. Not for many, said King Terribus quietly. By coming here you've chosen death, and the dead do not dream. Why should I die? inquired Prince Mom, curiously. Because you've seen me. Should I allow you to go away, you will tell the world about my ugly face. I do not like to kill you, believe me, but you must pay the penalty for your rashness, you and the man behind you. Nell smiled at this. But whether from the pride of being called a man, or in pleasurable anticipation of the sufferings to come, I leave you to guess. Will you allow me to object to being killed? asked the prince. Certainly, answered the king courteously. I expect you to object. It is natural, but it will do you no good. Then Terribus turned to an attendant and commanded, Send hither the fool-killer. At this, Prince Marvel laughed outright. The fool-killer? Surely your majesty does me little credit. Am I then just a fool? You entered my kingdom uninvited, retorted the king, and you tell me to my face I am ugly. Moreover, you laugh when I condemn you to death. From this I conclude the fool-killer is the proper one to execute you. Behold! Marvel turned quickly to find a tall, stalwart man standing behind him. His features were strong but grave and the prince caught a look of compassion in his eyes as their gaze met. His skin was fair and without blemish. A robe of silver cloth fell from his shoulders, and in his right hand he bore a gleaming sword. Well necked, cried Marvel heartily as he bowed to the fool killer. I have often heard your name mentioned, but he said in the world that you are a laggard in your duty. Had I my way, answered the fool killer, my blade would always drip. It is my master, yonder, who thwarts my duty. And he nodded toward King Terribus. Then you should exercise your right on him. Cleave the ugly head from his shoulders, declared the prince. Nay, lest I interfere with the fool killer, I should soon have no subjects left to rule, for at one time or another they all deserve the blade. Why, that may be true enough, replied Prince Mark. But I think under such circumstances your fool killer is a needless servant. So I will rid you of him in a few moments. With that, he whipped out his sword and stood calmly confronting the fool killer, whose grave face never changed in expression as he advanced menacingly upon his intended victim. The blades clashed together, and that of the fool killer broke short off the hilt. He took a step backwards, stumbled, and fell prone upon the rocky floor, while Prince Marvel sprang forward and pressed the point of his sword against his opponent's breast. Oh, cried the king, starting to his feet. Would you slay my fool-killer? Think of the harm you would do the world. But he is naggled and unfaithful to his calling, answered the prince sternly. 
Nevertheless, if he remove but one fool a year, he is a benefit to mankind, declared the king. Release him, I pray you. And the victor withdrew his soul and stood aside, while the fool killer slowly got to his feet and bowed humbly before the king. Go! shouted Terrorus, his eyes flashing angrily. You've humiliated me before my enemy. As an atonement, see that you kill me a fool a day for sixty days. Hearing this command, many of the people about the throne room began to tremble, but the king paid no attention to their fears, and the fool killer bowed again before his master and withdrew from the chamber. Chapter 9 The Royal Dragon of Spore Now, said Terribus, regarding the prince gloomily, I must dispose of you another way. For a moment he dropped his scarlet head and thought. Then he turned fiercely upon his attendants. Let the wrestler come forward, he shouted as loudly as his mild voice could carry. Instantly, a tall blackamoor advanced from the throng and cast off his flowing robe, showing a strong figure clad only in a silver loincloth. Crack me this fellow's bones, commanded Terribus. I beg your majesty will not compel me to touch him, said Prince Marvel with a slight shudder, for his skin is greasy and will soil my hands. Here, nerd! He continued, turning to his esquire. Dispose of this man and save me the trouble. Nerl laughed pleasantly. The man was powerfully built, and compared with Nerl and the prince, who had but the stature of boys, he towered like a very giant in size. Nonetheless, Nerl did not hesitate to spring upon the wrestler, who, with a quick movement, sent the boy crashing against the stone pavement. Nerl was much bruised by the fall, and as he painfully raised himself to his feet, a great lump swelled behind his left ear, for his head had struck the floor, and he was so dizzy that the room seemed swimming about him in a circle. But he gave a happy little laugh and said to the prince gratefully, Thank you very much, my master. The fall is hurting me delightfully. I almost feel as if I could cry, and that would be a joy indeed. Well, answered the prince with a sigh, I see I must get my hands greased after all for the man's body had really been greased to enable him to elude the grasp of his opponents. But Marvel made a quick leap and seized the wrestler firmly about the waist. The next moment, to the astonishment of all, the man flew swiftly into the air, plunged through one of the open windows high up in the wall, and disappeared from view. When the king and his people again turned their wondering eyes upon the prince, he was wiping his hands carefully upon a silk handkerchief. At this sight, a pretty young girl who stood near the throne laughed aloud, and the sound of her laughter made King Terribus very angry. Come here, he announced sternly. The girl stepped forward, her face now pale and frightened, while teardrops trembled upon the lashes that fringed her downcast eyes. You have dared to laugh at the humiliation of your king? said Terribus, his horrid face more crimson than ever. And as atonement, I command that you drink of the poison cup. Instantly a dwarf came near, bearing a beautiful golden goblet in his crooked hands. Drink, he said, an evil leer upon his face. The girl well knew this goblet contained a vile poison, one drop of which on her tongue would cause instant death, so she hesitated, trembling and shrinking from the ordeal. Prince Marvel looked into her sweet face, with pitying eyes, and stepped quickly to her side and took her hand in his. Now drink he said, smiling to her. The poison will not hurt you. 
She drank obediently while the dwarf chuckled with awful glee, and the king looked on eagerly, expecting her to fall dead at his feet. But instead the girl stood upright and pressed Marble's hand, looking gratefully into his face. You're a fairy, she whispered, so low no one else heard her voice. I knew that you would save me. Keep the secret, whispered the prince in return, still holding her hand. He led her back to her former place. King Terebus was almost wild with rage and disappointment, and his elephant nose twisted and squirmed horribly. So, you dare to thwart my commands, do you? he cried excitedly. Well, we shall see which of us is more powerful. I have decreed your death, and die you shall. For a moment his eye roved around the chamber uncertainly. Then he shouted suddenly, Ho there! Keepers of the royal menagerie, appear! Three men entered the room and bowed before the king. They were of the grey men of the mountains, who had followed Prince Marvel and Nurl through the rocky passes. Bring hither the royal dragon, cried the king, and let him consume these strangers before my very eyes. The men withdrew, and presently was heard a distant shout, followed by a low rumbling sound, with groans, snorts, roars, and a hissing like steam from the spout of a tea kettle. The noise and shouting drew near while the people huddled together like frightened sheep. Then suddenly the doors flew open, and the royal dragon advanced to the center of the room. This creature was at once the pride and terror of the kingdom of Spore. It was more than thirty feet in length, and covered everywhere with large green scales set with diamonds, making the dragon, when it moved, a very glittering spectacle. Its eyes were as big as pie plates, and its mouth, when wide open, fully as large as a bathtub. Its tail was very long and ended in a golden ball, such as you see at the top of flagstaffs. Its legs, which were as thick as those of an elephant, had scales which were set with rubies and emeralds. It had two monstrous big ears and two horns of carved ivory, and its teeth were also carved into various fantastic shapes, such as castles, horses' heads, Chinamen, and griffins, so that if any one of them broke, it would make an excellent umbrella handle. The royal dragon of Spore came crawling into the throne room, rather clumsily, groaning and moaning with every step, and waving its ears like two blankets flying from the clothesline. The king looked on it and frowned. Why aren't you breathing fire and brimstone? Why, I was caught out in the gale the other night returned the dragon, rubbing the back of its ear with its left front paw as it paused and looked at the king. And the wind put out my fire. Then why didn't you light it again? asked Terebus, turning on the keepers. We, we were out of matches, your majesty, stammered the trembling gray men. So ho! yelled the king and was about to order the keepers beheaded. But just then Nurl pulled out his matchbox and lit one of the matches and held it in front of the dragon's mouth. Instantly, the creature's breath caught fire, and it began to breathe flames a yard in length. That's better, sighed the dragon contentedly. I hope your majesty is now satisfied. No, I'm not satisfied, declared King Terribus. Why do you not lash your tail? I can't do that, replied the dragon. It's all stiffened up with rheumatism from the dampness of my cave. It hurts too much to lash my tail. Well then, gnash your teeth, commanded the king. Tut, tut, answered the dragon mildly. I can't do that either, for 
Since you had them so beautifully carved, it makes my teeth ache to gnash them. Well, then what good are you? cried the king in fury. Don't I look awful? Am I not terrible to gaze upon? inquired the dragon proudly as it breathed out red and yellow flames and made them curl in circles about its horns. I guess there's no need for me to suggest terror to anyone that happens to see me, it added, winking one of the pie-plate eyes at King Terribus. The king looked at the monster critically, and it really seemed to him that it was a frightful thing to behold. So he curbed his anger and said in his ordinary sweet voice, I have called you here to destroy these two strangers. How? asked the dragon, looking upon Prince Marvel and Nurl with interest. I am not particular, answered the king. You may consume them with your fiery breath, or smash them with your tail, or grind them to atoms between your teeth, or tear them to pieces with your claws. Only do hurry up and get it over with. Mm, said the dragon thoughtfully, as if it didn't relish the job. This one isn't St. George, is it? No, no, exclaimed the king irritably. It's Prince Marvel. Do get to work as soon as possible. Prince Marvel. Prince Marvel, repeated the dragon. Why, there isn't a prince in the whole world named Marvel. I'm pretty well posted on the history of royal families, you know, and I'm afraid he's St. George in disguise. Isn't your name Prince Marvel? inquired the king, turning to the boyish-looking stranger. It is, answered Marvel. Well, it's mighty strange I've never heard of you, persisted the dragon. But tell me, please. How would you prefer to be killed? Oh, I am not going to be killed at all, replied the prince, laughing. Do you hear that, Terribus? asked the dragon, turning to the king. He says he isn't going to be killed. But I say he is, cried Terribus. I have decreed his death. But do you suppose I'm going to kill a man against his will? inquired the dragon in a reproachful voice. And such a small man, too. Do you take me for a common assassin? Uh, a murderer? Do you intend to obey my orders? roared the king. No, and that's that, returned the dragon sharply. It's time for me to take my cough medicine, so if you've nothing more to say, I'll go back to my cave. Go, 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 shrieked the king, stomping his foot in passion. You've outlived your usefulness. You're a coward. You're a traitor. You're a, uh, uh, uh. I'm a dragon and a gentleman replied the monster proudly, as the king paused for lack of a word. And I believe I know what's proper for dragons to do and what isn't. I've learned wisdom from my father, who got into trouble with St. George. And if I fought with this person who calls himself Prince Marvel, I deserve to be a victim of your fool killer. I know my business, King Terribus, and if you knew yours, you'd get rid of this pretended prince as soon as possible. With this speech, he winked at Marvel, and turned soberly around and crawled from the room. One of the keepers got too near, and the dragon's breath set fire to his robe, the flames being with difficulty extinguished. And the gold ball at the end of the dragon's tail struck a giant upon the shins and made him dance and howl in pain. But aside from these slight accidents, the monster managed to leave the throne room without undue confusion. And everyone, including the king, seemed glad to be rid of him. Chapter 10 Prince Marvel Wins His Fight When the door had closed on the royal dragon, King Terribus turned again to Prince Marvel, while his crimson face glowed with embarrassment, and his front eye rolled with baffled rage 
as he thought about how vain had been all his efforts to kill this impudent invader of kingdoms. But his powers were by no means exhausted. He was a mighty king, the mightiest of all in the enchanted island, he believed, and ways to destroy his enemies were numerous. "'Send for a hundred of my grey men!' he suddenly cried, and a courtier ran at once to summon them. The grey men would obey his orders without question, he well knew. They were silent, stubborn, quick, and faithful to their king. Terebus had but to command, and his will would be obeyed. They entered the room so quietly that Nurl never knew they were there until he turned and found the hundred grey ones standing close together in the centre of the hall. Then Prince Marvel came to Nurl's side and whispered something in his ear. "'Will you obey my orders?' they heard the king ask. And the grey men, with their eyes fixed upon their master, nodded all their hundred heads and put their hands upon the dangerous three-tined forks that were stuck in every one of the hundred belts. Prince Marvel handed one end of a coiled rope to Nurl, and then they both sprang forward and ran around the spot where the hundred grey men stood huddled together. Then they were pulled closer together than before, closer and still closer, for the prince and Nurl had surrounded them with the rope and were tying the two ends together into a tight knot. The rope cut into the waists of those on the outside, and they pressed inward against their fellows until there was scarcely space to stick a knife-blade between any two of them. When the prince had tied the rope firmly, King Terebus, who had been looking on amazed, saw that his hundred grey men were fastened together like a bundle of kindling wood, and were unable to stir hand or foot. And, while he still gazed open-mouthed at the strange sight, Prince Marvel tilted the bundle of men up on its edge and rolled it out the door. It went rolling swiftly through the courtyard and bounded down the castle steps, where the rope broke and the men fell sprawling in all directions onto the marble walk. King Terebus sighed, for such treatment of his grey men, whom he loved dearly, made him very unhappy. But more than ever he resolved to kill these impudent strangers, who in the very heart of his kingdom, where thousands bowed to his will, dared openly defy his power. So after a moment's thought, Terebus beckoned to a dwarf, who, robed in gay and glittering apparel, stood near his throne. "'Summon the royal dart-slingers,' he said with a scowl. The little man bowed and hastened away, to return presently with twenty curiously crooked dwarves, each armed with a sling and a quiver full of slender, sharp-pointed darts. "'Slay me, these strangers!' exclaimed the king in his gruffest voice. "'Now, Nurl,' When he beheld these terrible dart-slingers, of whom he had heard so many tales in his boyhood, began to shiver and shake with fright, so that his teeth rattled upon one another, and he reflected, "'Soon I shall be content, for these darts will doubtless pierce every part of my body.' The dwarves formed a line at one side of the gloomy throne-room, and Prince Marvel, who had been earnestly regarding them, caught Nurl by the arm and led him to the opposite wall. "'Stand close behind me, and you will be safe,' he whispered to his esquire. Then each dwarf fixed a dart in his sling, and at a word from their chief they all drew back their arms and launched a shower of sharp missiles at the strangers. Swift and true they sped, each dart intended to pierce the body of the youthful knight who stood so calmly before them. Prince Marble had raised his right arm, and in his hand was a small leather sack with a wide mouth, as the darts flew near him, a strange thing happened. 
they each and all swerved from their true course and fell rattling into the leather sack, to the wonder of the royal slingers and to the dismay of King Terebus himself. Again! screamed the king, his usually mild voice hoarse with anger. So again the dwarves cast their darts, and again the leather sack caught every one of them. Another flight followed, and yet another, till the magic sack was packed full of darts, and not a dwarf had one remaining in his quiver. Amid the awed silence of the beholders of this feat, the merry laughter of Prince Marvel rang loud and clear, for the sight of the puzzled and terrified faces about him was very comical. Plucking a dart from his sack, he raised his arms and cried, Now it is my turn! You shall have back your darts! Hold! shouted the king in great fear. Do not, I beg you, slay my faithful servants! And with a wave of his hand, he dismissed the dwarves, who were glad to rush from the room and escape. Nerl wiped the tears from his eyes, for he was sorely disappointed at having again escaped all the pain and discomfort. But Prince Marvel seated himself quietly upon a stool and looked at the scowling face of King Terebus with real amusement. The monarch of Spore had never before been so foiled and scorned by any living creature. Defeated and humbled before his own people, he bowed his crimson head in his hands and suddenly regarded his foe with the top eye. Then it was that the idea came to him that no ordinary mortal could have thwarted him so easily, and he began to fear he was dealing, perhaps unawares, with some great magician or sorcerer, that a fairy should have assumed a mortal form he never once considered, for such a thing was until then unheard of in the enchanted Isle of Yew. But with the knowledge that he had met his master, whoever he might prove to be, and that further attempts upon the stranger's life might lead to his own undoing, King Terebus decided to adopt a new line of conduct, hoping to accomplish by stratagem what he could not do by force. To be sure, there remained his regiments of giants, the pride of his kingdom. But Terebus dreaded to meet with another defeat, and he was not at all sure, after what had happened, that the giants would succeed in conquering or destroying the strangers. After all, he thought, my only object in killing them was to prevent their carrying the news of my monstrous appearance to the outside world. So if I can but manage to keep them forever in my kingdom, it will answer my purpose equally well. As a result of this thought, he presently raised his head and spoke to Prince Marvel in a quiet and cheerful voice. "'Enough of these rude and boisterous games,' he said with a smile that showed his white teeth in a repulsive manner. "'They may have seemed to my people an ill welcome to my good friend Prince Marvel, yet they were only designed to show the powers of the mighty magician who has come to become my guest. Nay, do not deny it, Prince. From the first I guessed your secret.' And to prove myself right, I called my servants to oppose you, being sure they could not do you any injury. But no more of such foolery. And pray, forgive my merry game at your expense. Henceforth we shall be friends, and you are heartily welcome to the best my kingdom affords. With this speech, Terebus stepped down from his throne and approached Prince Marvel with outstretched hand. The prince was not at all deceived, but he was pleased to see how cunningly the king excused his attempts to kill him. So he laughed and touched the hand Terebus extended, for this fairy prince seemed to have no anger against any mortal who ventured to oppose him. The strangers were now conducted, with every mark of respect, to a beautiful suite of apartments in the castle, wherein were soft beds and velvet spreads, 
marble baths with perfumed waters, and a variety of silken and brocaded costumes from which they might select a change of raiment. No sooner had they bathed and adorned themselves fittingly than they were summoned to the king's banquet hall, being escorted there by twelve young maidens bearing torches with lavender-coloured flames. The night had fallen upon the mountains outside, but the great banquet hall was brilliant with the glow of a thousand candles, and seated at the head of the long table was King Terebus. Yet here, as in the throne room, the ruler of Spore was dressed in simplest garments, and his seat was a rough block of stone. All about him were lords and ladies in gorgeous array. The walls were being hung with rare embroideries. The tables were weighed down with gold platters and richly carved goblets filled with sweet nectars. But the king himself, with his horrid ugly head, was like a great blot upon a fair parchment, and even Prince Marvel could not repress a shudder as he gazed upon him. Terebus placed his guest upon his right hand and loaded him with honours. Nurl stood behind the prince's chair and served him faithfully, as an esquire should. But the other servants treated Nurl with much deference, noting in him an air of breeding that marked him the unusual servant of an unusual master. Indeed, most curious were the looks cast on these marvellous men who had so calmly walked into the castle of the mighty Terebus and successfully defied his anger. For in spite of his youthful appearance and smiling face, every attendant at the banquet feared Prince Marvel even more than they feared their own fierce king.